I was wary. We had had such good experiences lately with Billy, Dinah, and Koi, I didn't think that Superman could possibly add to those good vibes. Matthew and I made our way back to Metropolis, beelining it for the Daily Planet. What we saw in the sky, however, was something we couldn't believe. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Matthew. And we're the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. I want to point out that I'm looking at my notes and I wrote Soupman, not Superman. <laughs> so that's disappointing. Is, is that some pen? E or is it just Supman? It's it's Soup, like S-U-P-E, man, and that's... Uh, that's that's forever in there. Alright. Um, so hi grandkids, when you look you find grandpa's notebook. Um I misspelled a thing. Where there's your where's Waldo. If you find it and then you bring it to me, you get whatever the equivalent of currency will be in the, in that time period when I have grandchildren. I mean I'm hoping it's dollars. Like maybe like neo dollars. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> I'm thinking bison dollars for when I kidnap their queen. Oh Street Fighter the movie. Oh. 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 <laughs> Poor Raul Julia. <laughs> Treasure of a man. The only clips I've seen of that, he has just like gone fall into that role. I love it. I love it. I love it. That movie's amazing. For M. Bison, it was a Tuesday. Oh, God, that whole sequence. <laughs> Bison dollars, folks. Invest today. They're going to be big. Are they going to be the new Bitcoin? Uh, better, because they're actually going to be worth something. But, um... <laughs> we live in the Bay Area. Uh, we're going to go to... <laughs> we're going to we're gonna try and get this done quickly, because we are covering three volumes today. How many pages is it? Um, around 200 a book you know one is like 198 uh, yeah, and the other yeah. two are like 182 and 186 so we'll say a decent 600 pages and somehow that's still only like what a year and a half two years of comics something like that yeah we go from july 1940 to september 1941 wow that's what happens when you have an 80 page comic come out every quarter right so mm -hmm. Joanne is here. I've made her a promise. These are the shortest notes that I've got, but there are important things that I'm going to bring up and, and talk about. But we're going to go through this, and we're actually going to talk about kind of what happened to Superman in that weird year and a half span compared to the last time we saw Superman, which was just, you know, fight Luther and Pacifo and, you know, robots and, you know, dinosaur lizard things and stuff like that. So the first volume of the Superman Chronicles, Volume 4, covers Action Comics number 28 through 31, Superman number 6 through 7. And that's July 1940 to December 1940. And yes, that's, that's what happens when you have Chronological Order collection back issue reprints, which go through both Action and Superman. So that's technically two comics that you have to kind of pay attention to, to what you're reading. And of course, each Superman volume is anywhere between 64 to 80 pages. So... Immediately, I gotta point this out, circus issue! <laughs> there's a circus issue where there's a strongman guy who's just, you know, causing crimes and calls out Superman, Superman beats the shit out of him. That's the only circus issue, or... No, there's a... Is that, there's, yeah. is there there's, a cir there's a circus issue and a carny issue, and I'm gonna go into and that. And one, like, half-hearted sports issue that we're gonna cover yeah. today. <laughs> but I think that's the extent of, like, the the banes of your existence yeah i, I can't remember the, the sports one too much it i mean it wound up being just hey nazi fucks i'm better than you oh and yeah. i'm gonna show one panel of each sport it was done. like hitler's olympics yeah essentially and superman just shows up that country ducalia 
add that one to the, the fictional atlas of DC, as well as the fictional South American country and also the South American tribe that I'm going to talk about later. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, also Black Satan, <laughs> which right. is a dog, which is weird. Uh, it's just a, it's a guard dog that he encounters in a story and they call it Black Satan. Like, very, very important because several characters refer to Black Satan. And you're like, why are we talking about this dog this way? Why are we talking about it like it's a major character? And it's not. It's just an obstacle. I wonder if uh, pit bulls were a big breed at that point. I don't know. Because uh, you go a little bit further on and you've got, uh, well, actually, I guess it must have been because uh, in The Little Rascals, uh, mm. that was a pit bull, right? I believe so. Also in um, Sandlot, too, I think. Oh. Big Dog is a, just like a big-ass pit yeah, bull. But, like, original uh, Little Rascals was super yeah. early, so I, I'm, like, I'm, it might yeah. even be contemporary. I think you're right. Uh, so, yeah, just a weird... Like, they refer they refer to Black Satan as one would refer to Jaws, the bad guy, and, and James Bond. In oh, I sense, thought you were going to say not the, Jaws, not the, the bad guy, and not Jaws. The no, um, like, the, like or mm-hmm. Odd Job. Like, they refer to it as a mini-boss, and I'm like, that's not yeah. that's not really fair, because it's not. It's a dog. It's a dog, and it's Superman. Yeah, it's if it was Crypto, you know, or Ace the Bat Hound, maybe, but, you know. Um, Superman number six has the first hinting of flight. It's got, like, a sort of flying squirrel glide moment where he jumps and fans out his cape and, like, glides upward, and I'm like... You're thinking about it. I see you. I see you, Siegel and Schuster, thinking about it. And we'll see, like, hints in that direction all the way through this. Like, the thing that keeps getting me and bugs the shit out of me is points where they're showing him jumping, but he's, like, the action lines are curving. Right. Then you've got the first criminal to find out who Superman is by watching Clark Kent change, and then, like, Superman threatens him, and he's afraid of Superman, and he runs and falls down some stairs and breaks his neck and dies. Very neatly wrapped up that. Uh, Superman is also blood compatible with all four blood types, so Kryptonian blood is compatible with human blood completely. That, well, I mean, that just means it's O-negative, right? Uh, yeah, but you got to imagine that it's probably not O-negative because he's Kryptonian. True. So we're going to say... negative Yeah, it's K-negative. So that's just something to think about when you think about Kryptonian physiology. Their blood type is simpatico with humans and that is weird because normally you don't think about that normally that's a big plot point for superheroes who have like some sort of irradiated blood like it's a big deal when spider-man gives blood to you know aunt may because they're like uh maybe it won't work because you've got spider dna in you you weird human being and he can he's concerned about that that at one point and that's like an old like 60s 70s storyline um apparently that's not a problem for kryptonians who knew maybe that's why him and lois can have children later in certain comics maybe it's because their blood is straight up compatible i mean i just go by the uh the shorthand of if it makes the writer's job easier yeah and, but but yeah yeah it's, you know uh, me I'm, once I'm doing... they start doing like continuity stuff like that's the kind of thing that'll either be well this is an interesting thing to have to carry forward or quietly buried yeah so just you know me i like to keep track of those things uh lots of vulcan nerve pinches in yeah. this collection although it drops off like after you get out of at least, I think maybe after the first halfway volume. through after the first volume, yeah, because I don't remember seeing it at all in the sixth one. Oh, because it's replaced by something better. That's true. Superman number that seven. Is true. Yeah, Superman number seven has the first appearance of Perry White, who is the age-old manager of the Daily Planet that Clark and Lois work for, alongside Jimmy Olsen. So that's kind of neat. You get Perry White showing up. Also, Gay City, which is I want to say like the Atlantic City boardwalk that they just refer to as Gay yeah. City. It's just, it seems like it's a theme park that they refer to as Gay City. 
I mean, it felt or like, to me a like an actual or... like a city, but resort a... perhaps. Yeah, resort town. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also Lois and Clark go undercover at, at one point and kind of that, that was neat. You know, I thought that was kind of cool for yeah. some investigative reporting. We'll see a lot more focus on the reporting side. Yeah. Also, there was a big fight with these Arab guys with like sun orb guns oh, yeah. and, a, and an army in the desert. It was... It, it felt kind of like the mummy. Yeah. Think... If Luthor was Arabian and also just, like, wanted to blow shit up instead of ransom stuff, the the body count in this volume, care to guess? 73. No! Cold. You're, you're actually, yeah, you're, you're cold. Uh, 123? Mm, too cold. Uh, 51? Warmer? 56. Mm, cold. Uh, 39. Ooh, very uh, warm. 38? 37? 36? 37. Ooh. All right. 37 yeah, in the right. first volume. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm gonna explain yeah. that for real quick. He destroys a couple cars, a plane or two, you know, in some fighting and whatnot. And there's, there's uh, no, he knocks one car off the road. Straight up knocks mm-hmm. a car off the road that's tailing him as Clark Kent. And I'm like, there's at least a driver in that. And then he throws two trucks at each other. And I'm like, there's at least one driver in each of those. And then he blows up something like 10 airships during this Arabian storyline in which you see at least three people go in a single airship. And I'm going, if there are three people per airship, holy cow, man. Like, you killed a lot of people. And then there's several other moments where it's just like, um, that was unnecessary. Or he punches a dude and he falls off a thing. It's... It was weird. It was very weird. Oh, also he orders the leader of the Arabian army to make his people kill themselves. He order yeah. he tells him to yeah. order his men to to destroy yeah, their fleets. That gratuitous. is that's fucked up. Most of the rest of the times we'll, we'll still see this high body count. And you're going to go through it and in uh, great detail uh, going forward, but it's all mostly except for that kind of stuff. Most of it's like silver age you can't kill the guy, but the bad guy dies at the end. Pretty much, yeah. Kind of like how Green Lantern usually handles things. Yes. How the guys, like, kill themselves in their own hubris mm-hmm. or plot or whatever. Uh, we're going to move to the second volume, uh, volume 5 of the Superman Chronicles Action Comics, uh, number 32 through 36, Superman number 8 through 9, and the first World's Best comic, number 1, yeah. which is then later rebranded to World's Finest. That's I didn't the, know that. That's the actual rebranding of Worlds. That's why Worlds Finest 2 and huh. 3 shows up in the next volume, and they refer to it as Worlds Best, later rebranded as. Huh. This volume has the first appearance of Superman's hypnosis power, which <laughs> replaces the Vulcan nerve pinch because he just starts hypno- uh, hypnotizing Lois into forgetting that he's Superman a couple times. Also, other people and breaking hypnosis from other people. Mm-hmm. That's really strange. Superman number 8, uh, there's a bunch of giants that he fights. Kills, like, five of those guys. You know, it's kind of the it's kind of the Batman Monster Men thing. Doesn't yeah, need to kill them, yeah. but totally does, and that was not cool. Also, there's carny grifting, which is the other sort of mm-hmm. circus thing where this carnival right, tries yeah. to like scam Lois and Clark, and as Superman, he exposes it, which I thought was like really mundane for him. Yeah, I actually don't think from like volume five onward we've seen too much in the way of like superhuman endeavors. Mm. I'm trying to think of any off the top of my head, I can't. A uh, couple stopping buildings from falling, yeah. like. That's true. But it doesn't feel like there was as much focus on the spectacle of it. Right. It was like still small panels. Which actually brings me to one of the other things. Uh, 
especially starting with five, might have been four as well, we have a lot less involvement from, is it Siegel who's the artist? Uh, Schuster. Schuster. Because a lot of them... Uh, the Superman sp- studio is referenced. Yeah, and a lot of them it specifically says this one artist blank. Yeah, uh, Superman number nine has an espionage plot that he foils. And the first world's best or world's finest is a guy who controls the weather and Superman stops him. Volume 6 of the Superman Chronicles contains Superman number 10 and 11, Action Comics 37 through 40, and World's Finest 2 and 3. So now we've officially ended that September 1941 with the World's Best Comics, or the World's Finest. Hmm. Superman number 10 is pretty ambiguous flying. He's flying to me. I'm, I'm confident saying that he's flying because there's certain moments where... There's just no way that he's not flying when he's looking for certain things and, like, staying in the air and doing things. I'm like, he's flying. Fiavin? Flying in all but name? Pretty much, yes. Uh, Luthor returns for a single story and then disappears. Boom. Another fake Swami guy who's, you know, telling fortunes and stuff like that. Ducalia. This is the one with the Hitler Olympics. And it's, that's the thing. Like, it, I don't think we can quite call it a sports issue because... There's no actual sporting that happens. Right. He just throws people and jumps himself over uh, the high jump bars. Yeah. It's just like, let me just fuck with the Nazis. It's a foreign nation demonstrating their Olympic level skill in America. Mm-hmm. Like, th- there's no clear American presence there either, which seems strange. So it's in it's the... almost as if, yeah, they've, they've allowed them space at a stadium to just put it on a show well in the when i think it's i think perry is the one who sends him off like go cover this uh he describes it as a sporting match but by the time they get there it's just one fascist leader being like hey we're awesome you guys suck we're gonna conquer you and here's why yeah pretty much clark also becomes police commissioner at one point (laughs) that's right that's strange and then of course he promptly stops being police commissioner when the case is solved Superman number 11, Quasmania, yeah. which is this fake South American country that Lois Clark and two other guys have this weird, like, episodic odyssey adventure that takes, like, several days to complete, and it's very intense. Superman is also a bodyguard and a chaperone in this one story where he has to, like, break this... It's kind of Taming of the the Shrew, except he's not, like, in love with the, the girl. That's true. I did not think of that way of looking at it. Uh, I just have written down as uh, Superman scares criminals to help rich people. Pretty much, yeah. A lot of a lot of Superman aiding the wealthy, which feels weird compared yeah, to what he I've, used to do. I've got a bit on that, yeah. Right. Uh, Action Comics number 39 has the first, in my opinion, super-powered villain that Superman encounters, which is the radioactive man. Because yeah. Luthor yeah. and everybody else is not really kind of... Uh, they're villains but they're not on superman's level in the Mm. sense that they're always putting stuff for superman to fight and the radioactive man seems to have powers of his own that makes him comparable to superman the fact that he could combat superman Mm. Uh, that guy of course dies in the end because he's radioactive and he can't survive for very long so he was committing crimes to set up his wife when he died which is a nice thing so it's breaking bad plus imagine dragons basically yeah that's a breaking dragons yeah yeah that's in other a, news i would totally watch a fantasy version of breaking, of breaking bad. bad i i want that now i want that a, a guy turns into a necromancer to say because he's got yeah the pox 
or something. Like or the uh, Black Plague. Like a really uh, powerful wizard mm. uh, switches to dealing back alley potions. Black magic. Yeah. Nice. I like it. Ooh, yeah. Make it. Yeah. There you go, HBO. That's your next Game of Thrones replacement. So we're done with the summary, and I want to do just a quick round off of Superman's powers at this point. There's some power creep. Strength, speed, x-ray telescopic vision, hypnosis, flying question mark, and super breath. Super breath shows up in one that's of right. the comics as he just kind of blows a fire out. So that's it for our summary. You have some notes there that are pretty important, I think, that we should cover. I have notes. Uh, some of them are important. Some of them are just entertaining. Mm -hmm. uh, so we went through like the actual summary of uh, the various stories. I took note of some that I was especially found and that I especially found interesting and wrote my own uh, summaries of them. Uh, Superman is the xenomorph. Yeah. Everyone is glass and touching each other makes them explode and this would be a great noir metaphor or uh, emo music video. Ah, uh, gay city. Yeah, that was where that That's happened. That's Gay City. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, seriously, the whole plot of that issue is everyone is a weird kind of glass. It's still mobile, but if they touch each other, they explode. Yeah. It's just, I want to see that with like rain falling, uh, black and white, everyone like walking around, like looking at each other, trying to, hustling around to avoid touching anybody. Oh man, it works so great. It's noir. Uh, what if Dr. Manhattan did crimes? Hmm. Uh, Superman scares criminals to help rich people. Superman fucks with the proposal. Fun fact, these are both the same story. Uh, <laughs> being invulnerable and stomping scorpions and snakes all night sounds cathartic. And Superman planks midair with just one hand holding a doorframe and holy shit, you guys. Oh my god, yeah, he does that. And no, and it's the weirdest thing, like, because you're looking for what, what did they do with the layout of this? Like, what is he standing, no, he's just one-handed holding on to the, what is it? Doorframe, it's a doorframe. Door? Yeah. Yeah. I also have more fun notes, and then we get into the serious stuff. Apparently the Jughead hat is called a whoopee cap. Yeah. I didn't know that. Whoopee caps. Oh. You knew that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was going to be another Stussy thing. God damn it, John. You got my hopes up. <laughs> oh, man. I sold that so well. You did. Uh, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'm getting five guys. That's my reward. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. The better part, though, is researching that took me to a forum called the Fedora Lounge. Ooh. Pleasant surprise. It was just a message board for talking about classy men's fashion. Oh, thank God. I know. I've, I've looked at it and it's just like, oh, I have to see what this is. Oh. I mean, some of these links are out of date. Like, you know, when uh, you link to a photo and it's been pulled down. It's like, oh, a lot of broken links. But, yeah, that is a classy suit. Uh, I also want to call out, I think it's page 93 on volume 6. Uh, it's a montage panel that's got frames like broken glass and it's like it's really cool layout and we don't see a lot of creative layouts on here uh, so I just wanted to take a minute to say that was cool thank you for doing that Superman somersaults a lot yeah yeah that's weird yeah and I mean <laughs> it it makes sense that that's sort of a thing that they'll do just because visually I mean just kind yeah. of hopping out is less interesting you can't do flying yet. You can't do, like, the Superman pose. So he just kind of somersaults a lot. Tumbles. Yeah. He's a tumbler. 
Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good way for putting it because he's got like the knees up to his chest a lot. It's a very strange pose for Superman. Fits with the suit though. It's, it's a strongman suit. It it might have fit with it at the time, but that suit has since become so iconic that the original meaning has been lost. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Uh, context migration. Mm. Yeah, I just can't see. I can't see Henry Cavill rolling around on the floor a lot now. <laughs> it's not gonna happen in Man of Steel. I don't think. The best headline that I saw: "Crime Must Go." Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, succinct. Right. <laughs> well done, Daily Planet. The kind of headline that could actually fit on a newspaper for once, compared to everything else. Yeah, for once, I'll, I'll give them that. Like, at least they had believability, even if it was just kind of well. Yeah, and I think we both learned words from reading these comics. Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, you learned whoopee, whoopee hat. Well, that, but also molted. Molted, yes. I did not know that word either, but I also did not know the word that they used for giant. Yeah, what was it again? Bogdanarian? Yeah, it's on the Instagram. <laughs> I can't pronounce it for the life of me, but it's it's there, and if you can pronounce it, like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> I mean, do that if you can't either. Yeah, I mean, and just do it if you didn't try. Commiserate with us, <laughs> Gum Shoes. We love you. Um, I think it was. It's interesting. We got a lot of newspaper uh, rivalry. Yeah. Between Lois and Clark, that's kind of started now. We're seeing the two of them trying to like one up each other on scoops. Mm-hmm. Um, Lois is very, very much not the sob sister anymore for the planet, doing like real journalism and also the different newspapers in metropolis a lot of a lot of panel time for like the editors of those places and their competition with the planet each other trying to scoop each other lots of different reporters little scoopsy (laughs) that guy's awesome that's the dumbest nickname that i'm sure he gave himself (laughs) and just a lot happening with it's very much more newspaper-related hijinks mm-hmm. than before. Just in general, there's more time spent in civilian attire. Right. A lot of a lot of Clark Kent screen time. Yeah. Comparatively. Which, it kind of brings up... I'm actually really disappointed in how Lois is portrayed in this. Uh, like, granted, before she was problematic, now it's... I mean, she's a, she is straight up a damsel in distress. She has the she has the energy and the drive of a main character, and I'll, I want to talk actually a little bit more about the re- list of recurring characters because hint is short. But she is always in danger. She always needs Superman, and she never helps him. Not through any fault of her own necessarily, but. She never contributes to the action uh, that Superman is involved in. Uh, it's not, and there's never a situation where, like sidekick style, uh, she helps out in a combat. Like I don't even remember her ever being like, "Look out behind you," partly because nobody ever really manages to hurt Superman, with very few exceptions. But she doesn't get to contribute anything really to. Uh, resolve the situations that she is always getting herself in and this is not something that's in at all infrequent like i think probably three quarters maybe even like 80 85 percent of the issues we read have her being like i'm gonna investigate a thing and superman being like that seems like a bad idea i should tail her 
and her being like, oh, I found the thing. Oh, g- oh, hey, I'm in trouble. Superman bails her out. She's very much more Shaira than she is Linda or Lady in the Evening Clothes now. Yes. Uh, and the honestly, the big issue that I have with that is not just she's a weaker character as a result. It, she's not somebody who gets results. But it also means that the feminine is both powerless and infantile because she's always portrayed as not having listened to Superman telling her, hey, don't go investigate this. You're going to get yourself in trouble. She is being portrayed as someone who doesn't know what's best for her. She's also incredibly antagonistic. Yeah, there's that. very much puts Clark down more so than she ever used to calling him names, telling him to do things that, you know, it's Clark Kent, not Superman. Why are you telling him to beat those people up? That's a bad idea. Those are criminals. You only get away with it because, frankly, in this time period and the writing, you're a woman and they're not going to do anything to you except hold you hostage. Which we've seen has zero consequences eventually for her. Exactly. So She does kind of live an invulnerable life. Yeah. So I wonder if she's got this weird bubble in her psyche of how her life is because she always imagines Superman's going to save her and nothing mm-hmm. ever really happens to her. So she tries to just push Clark into this life that she has. Mm-hmm. And Clark is going, no normal person does this. No normal person does any of this shit because it's a bad idea because that's the mentality that Clark Kent has. That's the persona. Mm-hmm. Where Superman's like, oh, she's so cute and, you know... I know that I will always be there to rescue her. Right. And she always knows that he will be there to rescue her. And Clark is just, hey, I'm supposed to be a normal person, and that's not how things normally work. It's almost like her kink is danger, and her safe word is Mm -hmm. Superman. I wouldn't even... Because the safe word implies that that's the end of the scene, but that's I I don't think that's the end of the scene. The end of the scene is when everything's resolved. Uh, She... That's her escalation point. That's... I don't even... I'm trying to think of a metaphor that would... That is her... She always knows that the that she's go, that there's going to be the third act, and the third act is going to have Superman in there, and when he arrives, and he always does, it transitions into, okay, this is resolution step. Right. Uh, it's just funny to me, too, because there are several points in the comics where Clark is very clearly put in a dangerous situation, almost so much so that she thinks Clark has died. Mm-hmm. And she loses her shit when it happens. Yeah, and to I, her credit, to yeah, her credit, which yeah. yeah, you saw someone get murdered in front of you, and someone you moderately care about, you know, in mm-hmm. a work capacity. Well, okay, friendship. I'm gonna talk. I'm going to talk yeah. more about that in a bit. But to the point where you would think, having seen Clark almost get murdered several times, you might want to just back off. Just, just just, back up just a little bit and like slow your roll and go, you know, maybe this stuff is as dangerous as some of these people are saying. Because Clark just got thrown off a cliff or shot or put in a room to be tortured. And she does like nothing about it. So I actually think that's an interesting point. I think that there are people who would respond to those close calls as warning signs. And I think there are people who would respond to it as, Oh, that just reinforces my belief all along that Ooh. I am that Ooh, yeah. everyone around me is in the bubble. She thinks she has protag powers. Yes. She thinks she's the protagonist. Well, I wouldn't even go that far necessarily. It's just she knows she's as invincible as Superman is. Right. And at for every time that there are those close calls with Clark, he winds up being 
in that same invincibility quote, quote unquote saved by superman just yeah. because he saves himself yeah and as long as those three people as long as the two people that you're closest to in the world are just as invulnerable as the most invulnerable man ever like there's no reason for clark not to be brave there's and right if that's the scenario it's well you're you're being scared of literally nothing because mm. there is nothing bad that can happen to you. Ooh, that's scary. It oh, if if that's the way her mind is working, then yeah, no, it's terrifying because there's so many issues with that. It's fundamentally almost a bit of like divine right of no, there can't be consequences. That's not the way this works. As long as I end up being right in the end and I always am, everything on the way is justified. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that that's the way that her mind works. However, it does. It, does, yeah. it fits the pattern very well. We, well. Always, we always like to play with the, the darker implications on this show, just because it's fun to think mm -hmm. about that stuff. And uh, point of fact, and a little bit of an aside, Lois is the protagonist of her own comic series that she mm -hmm. does get at one point. Same thing with Jimmy Olsen. So, she is kind of the protagonist, just not in these comics. Yeah. And, and also, I think by the time that starts... We have a different oh. Lois. We have a Lois who can solve situations on her own. Right. Uh, Which is why she gets her own comic. Yeah. Uh, it's the same deal with uh, Clark. Like, I actually really don't like Clark in these because uh, I'm not a big fan of secret identities anymore. Like, that was something that seemed cool back in the day when I was a kid. I, I just don't enjoy most of those stories anymore because in large part, and this is the perfect example of it. Uh, secret identities mean that when your character is being in that identity, their relationships and their interactions are inherently false. Not always. I think Peter Parker is a great example of here's a character who has to not be everyone he can, everything he can be at, when he's Peter Parker, uh, and does face some issues as a result of that. But, by and large, Peter is still, especially in more modern uh, presentations, he's still a full character. He still does try to do well and do good things and help people in his own incarnation. He's not a complete inverse, like uh, Clark is, and to a lesser degree, uh, Bruce. So, this just... The fact that we spend so much time on a dislikable version of this character... Uh, bugs me and i think and here's where it sort of ties back into what we were just talking about uh a while back i posited that clark and lois were in an on again off again relationship that had been going on for a while and i think it makes a lot of sense if she views him like she knows that there is she knows that there is good in him mm -hmm. uh and so she stays with him trying to as like her project trying to make him better Ugh. yeah which is and i think sad as fuck and i think that also would exp if that were correct it would also explain why she's really just petty at him you can say constantly. she's a bitch to him <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's, I mean, that's totally what it is i i, I generally don't uh, try not to use that just because there are so many implications wrapped yeah. around it but she is trying to push him to be something that he is clearly not comfortable being. Uh, she denigrates him at various points. She is in competition with him. And to me, that makes sense if she is attached to him long term, but he is 
continuing to be this shitty person. Yeah, and it's and it's not to say that she's not trying to do a good thing. More so, I think she's going about it in a shitty oh, way. Oh yeah, oh and yeah. Because she's doing a nice thing for him. She's trying to get him to come out of his shell. She's trying to make him be a better person or a more brave mm-hmm. man, the man she wants him to be. Yep. That's noble quote-unquote and if you've been doing that for a year and a half and he is refusing to move and you somehow haven't decided to move on yeah yeah you're you're going to be stressed you're going to take it out on that person right but also at the same time it's your fault for not choosing to move on yep and so that's that therein lies the problem for me is that lois isn't really helping yeah because i've shown i show pictures on the the instagram about this where lois is saying stuff to the tone of, you know, you're such a weakling, Clark. Why don't you hit him? And then I look at Lois and say, you're not helping him either. You're just yelling at him and making him feel bad mm-hmm. for him. That's that's a dick move. That's a being bitchy. I don't know. It's Those are, yes, mm-hmm. sexist terms, but that's what you're doing. And that's not cool. It's the difference between, there's nothing wrong with her being assertive mm-hmm. and a go-getter and brusque because she's a woman in a man's world totally fine with that nothing wrong with that that does not make her bitchy what makes her bitchy is yelling at her quote-unquote maybe sort of kind of boyfriend that she's trying to improve and demeaning him in public when he is clearly not comfortable doing a thing that's not cool and that's actually abusive yeah this is a relationship that would be so much better if it weren't yeah oh absolutely they would be great if they weren't together in mm-hmm. this incarnation or or in in constant competition and maybe like occasionally they have like a spark and maybe we'll try something okay we're not together but instead they are effectively oh, yeah. uh, going steady because the shit that gets me is when she goes i i feel like i'm going to ding you with my presence tonight yeah she's she's carter hauling clark yeah She's Lois Lane is the Carter Hall of their relationship. You can even view it for, through the prism of just be a better person. I know you can be better, and it frustrates me that you're not. And it's still uncomfortable that she's pushing him in that way, fr- even if you remove the desirability portion. Right. And frankly, there's nothing wrong with Clark Kent. On a, on a fundamental level, a man mm-hmm. who is cowardly, who is a reporter, who goes out of his way to help people, Clark helps strangers all the time. Clark helps the help that kid that one time when he you know saved him from the bus. He uh, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a story in here where a, a government officials you know going against crime. He suggests that they back it. Clark is fundamentally good. He's a boring dude. That's his problem. Is Clark isn't brave and good in the sense of heroic. I'm actually going to disagree. I think there are points where. He is actively cowardly and undermining uh, other people as a result. Uh, not that, not a ton, and that happened more often earlier on. Right now, but more so now he's not. But also that goes to the charade of being of him trying to keep up Superman. Yeah. However, there are definitely points where Clark is just Superman doing Clark Kent solutions to the problem instead mm-hmm. of being Superman and you know making a dam itself and or flying into the guy's office and beating him up and telling him to stop. I feel like Clark Kent is an extension now more so of Superman in the fact that he's using Clark to just be a more mellow version of him. Hmm. And the bad stuff that Clark does is, of course, allowing Lois to get into trouble, backing away from things for the sake of his own identity. But to me, that's a Kal-El thing. That's not a Clark thing. Hmm. Clark, as a human being, is just a coward. And yeah, that's shitty and you wouldn't want to have that guy with you in a fight. 
but you expect that at this point. Clark's going to run from a fight. Don't take Clark with you when you try and write stories about gangsters. He's not the backup you need. Take Perry White, for crying out loud. <laughs> he yeah. does deck a guy. Right, yeah. Perry White straight up beats a dude up for trying to, like, bribe him to write censored articles about their gang. Hmm. Take Perry with you. Go ahead. Lois keeps trying to bring the guy that she knows she can't count on to things that she needs someone to back her up on. Clark, fundamentally, is not a bad guy. He's just a coward. And Lois is suffering because she chooses to she be... She keeps trying to include him in the adventuring party. Stop! Stop doing that! Just don't do it! And you probably... <laughs> He's would an like... NPC! Yeah! He, he, she'd probably like him a lot more. He took, like, a level in Bard. Right, yeah! He's got a lot of charisma, but no strength and no constitution. I'm sure she'd like Clark a lot more if they didn't do dangerous stuff together. She'd probably actually fall for him because she does commend him several times for doing good things or mm. saying that was a good story or nice scoop, Clark. She genuinely sees good parts to him and if she just ignored the part that was Adventure Man, which he clearly isn't, she'd probably be fine with him and like yeah. him a lot more. That's a really good point, yeah. <laughs> just Yeah, she right, I'm done yeah, with that. She doesn't need to have her possibly significant other with her all the time that's a thing that you have to learn when you have a relationship is you don't always do everything with that person and this is actually a thing that i think uh plays back into an earlier line that we were talking about uh he's part of the superman family uh, right. he's one of the only other people who has some connection to superman clearly so it it falls into that protagonist trap of okay Who's important? Mm -hmm. They always come with us on everything. Right. Clark, yes, is definitely tied into Lois. When Lois thinks about Superman shit, she thinks Clark. Because mm -hmm. she has just brought Clark along. Or Clark, by virtue of being Superman, shows up at the right time to write a story. So yeah, arguably you're right. That is a fault of him being a part of the Superman team that... She just associates him with big things because maybe Superman will be there and you and him have worked together a couple times and you scoop me with, you know, Superman stories occasionally. Maybe I, you should I, be there. Honestly, I wouldn't even go through, like, a thought process. It's just, like... I associate you with Superman yeah, before uh, you were here. Naturally, we're both going because right. Superman. Because Superman. And also, it doesn't help that Perry White also puts them on stories yeah. together. That's... That's not... Learn how to manage! Right. It's not totally <laughs> Lois's fault. I will, I will completely admit that because Lois... Lois does occasionally try and goad Clark into doing things when she sees a bad person on the street and says, let's go get him. There are points where, and, and especially the times that she does, like, bring a gun or some manner yeah. of armament and it still doesn't work. Yeah, it's yeah. like, You're please, an idiot. just Stop. take two, take uh, five years of Aikido, uh, get your gun permit and your concealed carry permit. Yeah. Uh, maybe then. Yeah, maybe, maybe then. She could, she has all the tools, just none of the skill. Yeah, and that's just what's annoying to her about and, and her to us. And she right has now. the drive, right? And she's she's yeah, she's got yeah. all the parts there to make a really good stew. She just can't cook for shit. And <laughs> Perry, it's hard because Perry White's looking at his two best reporters and going, "Yeah, go do a thing." And you would think, just once, Lois would say, "Yo, I don't want to work with Clark anymore. He's he's a coward, and he gets me in danger when he backs out of stuff. And Superman has to save me all the time." And Perry White might just go. Yeah, you know what? You're honestly better by yourself, and you guys write stories on your own all the time. Maybe you should just go do the thing by yourself. Or just 
Hire a bodyguard to yeah. go with. Hire hire a private security team to go with Lois Lane because God knows she <laughs> needs it. God, can you just imagine the moment that she realized that she could do like a strong entry, just like flying V down a street? <laughs> lane Squad. That's what it is. Oh man, she'd call it that. The Lane Squad. That's what Perry White would call yes, it. Yes, okay. He'd be like, no, get the Lane Jimmy. Squad. Jimmy. Jimmy would get like a picture. <laughs> Jimmy, get the lane squad. And it's got a big old L phone. It's totally cumbersome and hard to use. And just, oh, I love it. Oh, and like uh, 60s, like four color. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, P.S. I forgot to mention this in my summary. We see Lois Lane's mom. Yeah. This is the first For ever, one panel. The first ever time I've ever seen Lois Lane's mom in anything. Don't remember her in any of the cartoons, but I do remember General Colonel Lane. Uh, one of those, one of those big high ranking ranks. Yeah, I couldn't go anywhere with that. Sorry. But <laughs> you tried so hard. Titles. You got so far. In the end, it doesn't really matter, though. Uh, boy bands aside. <laughs> oh. That is a boy band. It's just a rock boy band. Yeah. I don't... It doesn't count, but it does count. It does, but it doesn't, yes. Yeah. So, point being, weird that we saw Lois Lane's mom and not her dad, because we usually see Lois Lane's dad, which usually follows up with the storyline that she's a military brat, which... I mean, if she was a military brat and she had the skill, Lois Lane would be way more capable. And I yeah. have no problem with her doing all this stuff on her own and Superman saving her when she gets into hot water that she can't handle herself. Which is usually what Lois Lane becomes later. Just not now. We're really looking forward to different writers getting their hands on these right. characters. Gardner Fox. Curious. I'm curious about Gardner Fox and Superman. Oh, yeah. yeah be I really am interested in what that's also, going to look like. Also, more proficient, older Gardner Fox. I do have other things. Yes, um, yes. There are four recurring characters... Yes, there it, are. There oh. are. Yeah, I know who <laughs> you're talking it. about. I know who you're going to talk about. Uh, so we have, we have, of course, uh, Kyle L. We've got uh, Lois. We've got Perry White. We've got Sergeant Casey. Yeah, we do, Sergeant and, Casey. And I just, I want to call out that <laughs> this four recurring characters on volume six, like four years, uh, well, I guess it's three years into it. 38. And two of them are intensely minimal characters. Like, we see Casey and Perry White with reasonable frequency, but they're not intense characters. They're not Doi B. Dickles. Yeah, they don't have, there's not a lot of personality. It's like, yeah. okay, there's my sergeant. Yay. Hey, there's a no-nonsense, but not that no-nonsense of a an editor. They're, yeah, they're NPCs. They're quest givers. With a very few lines of dialogue. Right. I think. Uh, we talked a little bit about being close to flight. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is the list of enemies in these stories. There are fifth columnists, there are gangsters, there are mad scientists. Yes. And that's really about it. But we don't have Superman taking a cause like we did in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later because first I want to talk about fifth columnists. So... <laughs> uh, for those who don't know the term, the fifth column, uh, the history of it is during the Spanish Civil War, uh, one of the nationalist generals uh, was marching on, I think, Madrid with four columns of troops, and in an interview he said, and there will be a fifth column of people who are sympathetic to our cause in Madrid who will rise up once we get there. Uh, so from there, the, fi- the term fifth column has come to refer to either a group of people who will sabotage uh, for the state that they have lo- loyalties to outside of, of the state. Like, there are two warring bodies. Maybe there's some disloyal uh, uh, Ducanians? Ducalians. Ducalians who will uh, sabotage Ducalian infrastructure. Uh, 
or it sometimes can be more like read more specifically as just people who will actually take up arms in a military sense uh, who are in the other country. In this case, though, let's talk really quick about American fifth columnist activities, or rather fifth column activities in the U.S. in World War II. Because there were actually some sabotage activities before the war and shortly after we entered, but they were profoundly ineffective. Mm -hmm. There are two specific ones, uh, major German uh, operations. There was the 33-person Duquesne spy ring and Operation Pastorius that landed Nazi agents in the U.S. to destroy dams and important infrastructure. Important thing to note, both operations came apart because a member turned them in. Specifically, the Duquesne operation sounds a whole lot like one of these issues that we've read uh, because they established themselves as like deliverymen to read communications, mm -hmm. as airline uh, attendants and such, so they could track allied vessel movements uh, across the oceans. Uh, and they blackmailed a man uh, named William Sebold into spying, who then worked with the FBI as a double agent and ended up breaking the ring wide open. So as a result, between those two, you really had very minimal spy activities in the U.S., at least that we know of as regards sabotage. And so that's interesting. The other thing that's worth noting in these stories, all of the fifth columnists, all of the people who have sympathies to aggressive authoritarian powers, which I think is exactly how they refer to it, Yeah. Uh, they, they don't say Nazi agents new, yet, new, uh, new. because we haven't quite hit December of 41 yet. Uh, but all of the fifth columnists and all the powers that they work with are white. Yes. We don't see anything Japanese yet. We don't see any fear of Japanese saboteurs. And to some degree, that makes sense just... We, that was more of a surprise. We knew we were building up towards a war with, uh, with the Third Reich. We didn't necessarily know there was going to be war in the East or, well, West. But it also speaks to, in my mind, uh, a lot of the underestimating that we did of the Japanese during this point. Let, now, I don't know how much how strong the spy agencies of Japan were in general, probably not very in the U.S., but the line that I always come back to is people talking about tin planes from Japan because they uh, Japan didn't have a whole bunch of, uh, the, of the resources that they would have needed for uh, their own war machine. So for a long while, they were building off of what we traded with them, which was a lot of tin, I believe. Uh, and in reality, once the war actually began, we realized very quickly that zeros were still very effective. Oh, uh, this is an interesting little bit. Just a short note. It's interesting how close some of these stories get. Not many by and large, by any means, but you heard me talk recently about how one of the missiles that would be fired looked a lot like a V-1 rocket. Mm -hmm. uh, and here, like, the Duquesne spiring absolutely sounds like some of these uh, conceptions of spy groups in here. Uh, but it's interesting that you have those things kind of match. Uh, I think there was a sound-guided torpedo in yep. one of these, and there were, in fact, uh, acoustic torpedoes used. Uh, starting in 1943, I want to say, like August of 43. So it's interesting when there's that little bit of not quite science fiction predicting the future. Science but, fiction meets science fact. 
Yeah. Yeah, uh, slightly in advance of science fact. Right. The other thing I want to call out, because uh, this is something that can't be said enough, the idea that fascism is an an efficient mode of government is profoundly wrong. Please remember that. Uh, The thing that I always go back to is, like, everybody imagines that, okay, when everyone's working towards a single goal and everyone is bought into this vision of what the nation should be, everything runs super smoothly because everyone works together as long as they're part of the inside. Nope, blatantly wrong. What we saw consistently, especially in the Third Reich, was that the, the governance model that Hitler used was playing his cronies off against each other. Everyone was caught up in turf wars. You had, especially the one I go back to is that uh, uh, Hermann Goring uh, promised that, don't worry, our troops are encircled in Stalingrad. Doesn't matter. Uh, they don't need to be connected directly to our supply lines because I'll just, the Luftwaffe will just fly in tons and tons and tons of supplies. It doesn't matter. So Hitler doesn't tell them to break and to, to focus on breaking out of Stalingrad and their encirclement. And as a result, that entire brought down to 91,000 man army surrenders. Fascism purports to be efficient. It is woefully unso. So remember that, that the most effective coordination between and within governments was actually on the democratic side because by and large, everyone was able to say, well, we're all bought into this. Let's make this happen. You had the supreme commander of the allied forces in the West. And that was not a position that would ever have existed with that level of buy-in from the fascist powers. I mean, for God's sake, Italy invades Greece. Mm -hmm. And maybe that prevents the Nazis from taking Moscow that year. Boom. Uh, So we talked a little bit in the past about Superman being... Like, the line I've sort of taken to using is an authoritarian radical. Uh, And explicitly siding him with Polish workers, the poor, victims of greed. The phrase that struck me recently was divine right. Hmm. The idea that he acted with the assurance of someone who knew he was right. And he was incredibly disrupted in acting on that. And soon as we start these uh, three uh, volumes, it's that is not the case anymore. Uh, He's a conventional superhero. He's just a defender of the status quo. The thing that epitomizes it the most to me is how the default character of the rich now, the wealthy characters here, is it's not greedy rich. It's good rich. Yeah. Yeah. Usually a benefactor or some sort of intellectual or some sort of developer is Mm -hmm. usually the rich person in these stories who's not a bad person. They're just rich. And someone is misleading them so bad things are happening and then superman resolves it and it's and now i'm going to devote myself to managing my store better exactly uh, it's it's that stuff and it yeah it's not, like, not my, necessarily bad but yeah, different absolutely that my relationship to conceptions of wealth is something that is constantly ongoing but it's an it's an amazing change to go from superman who destroys an entire factory so that uh, it's not going to make subpar parts to Superman playing uh, babysitter for a rich socialite. Yeah, a rich rich socialite woman. It's an odd thing. And the the one that blew my mind is Superman in general is less direct now. Uh, The bit where he was like, no, you guys should pay the ransom for the city. 
he's the one who says you should pay the ransom mm -hmm. and have it be real money that you're paying instead of trying to juke this guy who turns out to be Luther. Right. It's like, the hell? Well, you know, in his mind, he's like, I'll get the money back. I, I would think that, but it's also not... In, a, in volumes where everything else is super, like, explicit, just text boxes and thought bubbles in the same panel, right. which, good God. That's hard. Uh, no, God, it's horrifying. But... Uh, that was never made explicit in that story. So yeah. it's like, I don't know yeah. that that's the case. I want to talk briefly about the points where villains appropriate cultures. Uh, mm. Just It's something I think that should at least be touched on. So we've seen white villains set up fortune-telling or hypnosis businesses with a clear, uh, I'm going to use the O word because it's the word that they use, uh, oriental flair. Uh and they have employees dressed in, like, generically Eastern bikinis and pants or Cossack-style clothes. And I'm actually fine with this, specifically because the villains aren't good guys. Yeah. And they're setting up scams that play on people's stereotypes. Yeah. So it's, it's something that we see repeatedly, and I figure if nothing else I should, like, mention it, but I'm fine with it. Yeah, it's the difference between, as the writer, having a racist character versus having a character dress racist. Like, having a <laughs> having a character that adheres to stereotypes, like we saw with the guys in the very beginning of the Batman episodes, mm -hmm. with the weirdly nondescript Indian and Cossack yeah. dudes, uh, and them being racist because they are people from, apparently, those countries, versus a guy dressed up like that as a ruse yeah there's a difference between those two things there's the and also just the villains right. versus the that, people yeah. who aren't supposed to be bad like, right like the black maids in wonder woman or mm -hmm. anything else that we come across with you know uh in shazam the mm -hmm. yeah very clearly a little bit of blackface and it's like right. and he's your hero right versus the villains being well uh, bad people who yeah. prey on stereotypes and also in the 40s that wasn't a problem so mm -hmm. that's a thing like you can't really expect them to go like well we shouldn't be doing blackface because that was a thing in vaudeville was yeah. blackface and it's not exactly removed at that time period so i don't really feel like they would have thought that was a bad thing yeah. to have no, Billy they, do. they wouldn't have yeah so we will see you all next time. Oh, we didn't do uh, recommendations. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll go so you can think of one. The Injustice comic. The Injustice comic that led up to the Injustice game, the first game. Really good. You should read it. Please do. It's a very interesting story. I know people are sick and tired of bad Superman, but I think they explain how Superman goes bad very well. Personally, I like it. Uh, if you do read it. And, and it's a slow build. It is. It's a slow build. So if you do read it, uh, tweet me or something and we'll talk about it because I love talking about it on my end uh, I don't remember if I talked about this at any point since the Koi episode but the She-Hulk series was really good mm -hmm. uh, I haven't been reading as many comics lately uh, but I have been reading a series that uh, I'm not going to recommend this series necessarily but by the same author The Laundry Series okay. it is a oh, like yeah, you were telling me about this okay. yeah uh, imagine British bureaucratic Lovecraftian stories. It's also a book. Don't get confused. It's not a comic. It's a book. No, yeah, it's it's a series of novels. Don't look for a comic by that name. It's it's, yeah. a, it's a book. If you want like a relatively short entry point, check out uh, Equus. I think it's called or Equoid. Equoid. Yeah, uh, Equus is the play. Yes, true. <laughs> uh, be prepared. I have no idea of the quality of Equus, but if you're going to check that out, at least go in understanding what you're getting into. Yes. Uh, but uh, Equoid it. Relating to horse is the etymology of it. 
Uh, and it's essentially creepy unicorns. Dope. Fucking read it. It's awesome. Dope. I'm in. <laughs> Sold. So those are our recommendations for this episode. Be good people. Read comics. Talk with us about them. We will always talk to you about comics because that's what this entire podcast is about. And we will see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on iTunes and Stitcher. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and our Instagram page at dcdetectivespodcast.com for more. It was strange to see Clark so different. There were certainly the old shades of the burly socialist bully, but we could definitely tell there was a tone shift in his ideology. The multiple powers, the gadgets, the competition with Lois. He seemed tamer, yet more super at the same time, more familiar than he was before. It was encouraging, and we decided it was time to check on the princess to see if Washington had altered her in any way.